to another episode of Restorative Talks. I am really excited. We're here with Dr. Suter, who's a well-published author, someone who actually, I think your book was the first book I read on neurofeedback all those years ago. And the um, first one's out there. Yeah. yeah and uh, you know, you've been a, a thought leader and a pioneer and also the CEO and founder of New Mind Technology. And for those of you that are in our neuro meditation program or doing our home training programs, that's actually the device we use for that. So you, you heard last week from Dr. Thompson at Neurofield, which is that neuromodulation stim work. This is the neurofeedback work, which also implies some photic stimulation. So sorry for you listeners that don't know. Those are probably some big words. But what I really want you to know is we have a, a pioneer of the field with us today, and we're going to have a really exciting talk about neurofeedback in general and just also how it can apply to help us focus, help us relax and de-stress. So thanks for joining today. Yeah, I'm always excited to talk about this topic, as you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's, I think, that's how we got to know each other is it's just, mm-hmm. you can spend a lot of hours talking about this. So, you know, we're, we're obviously talking here in the midst of the coronavirus. And as we're shifting from practitioners in offices with a traditional practice into, you know, social isolation and distancing, and I've been so impressed by what New Mind is doing with reaching out and shifting people to home training in, in what I'd consider to be a really ethical way. So I want to say, say kudos and like, thank you for doing that. And be maybe, you know, kind of roll out the stage for you to share a little bit about what you all have been doing. Yeah. Thanks for the feedback, Michael. We appreciate the acknowledgement. Uh, and that's exactly what we've been trying to do. Our original goal was to um, move progressively towards allowing the public to use this wide, widely, but it took a lot of time to get all the different agencies in the government and, you know, get everybody in the field on board with that concept. It, it's not something that you can push right away. It's something that people around to, and it's hard enough just to get people to come around to something so novel and innovative as training your brain waves. I mean, for most people, that's still an unknown or even something that seems really, you know, far out, but we are in the 21st century and uh, so our long-term goal has to been moved to get this out to the public, particularly in the form of um, meditation and relaxation and kind of uh, exploring yourself and getting in touch with yourself through this technology and bringing the best out of yourself with this technology. And, and we've had to go through all these iterations and cycles of learning clinically what works and doesn't work, of looking at the data, of studying the data, working with a lot of clinics, working with clinicians who are just experimenting with people with uh, taking equipment home, using it for relaxation purposes, and making sure that, you know, we've got the glitches out, that it's safe, that it really works, um, that we understand it. And I think we're just at the uh, precipice of of launching uh, a whole new dimension of neurofeedback training in the general public. But neurofeedback training for self-improvement, for improved focus and concentration, for improved uh, relaxation, for meditation. The FDA has approved certain aspects of the technology for that now. And the first, first versions of it you saw were coming out with Muse and some of the other devices, which were fairly primitive electronically and even more primitive in terms of what we know about neurofeedback, 
But if they hadn't gone out there and done, really pushed the idea and explored it, uh, we wouldn't we wouldn't have all the agencies and uh, uh, different groups on our side to make this happen. So we're very excited that the way has been paved by many different uh, pioneers all working together. And so we're, we're looking forward to getting this technology out there, to getting it in people's hands and getting them to do neuromeditation and to do a profound relaxation, profound attention, which Adam Crane and I wrote about in that book back in 1999, 2000, uh, Mind Fitness. Uh, that, was, that was our goal back then. But we could see it was going to be a long journey getting there with all the uh, hoops to jump through and all the concerns in, in the agencies and communities and the boards. So we're there. So I think people should be really happy. And people like Jeff Tarrant are now taking our software and using it in a really sophisticated way to do neural meditation. He's doing it in a really responsible way. He really understands the subject matter. And uh, I'm in total agreement with how he's doing it. And uh, Jeff came to our first workshop on this concept many years ago. And I was so surprised and so pleased to see him move in this direction. So uh, people are interested in neuro meditation, check out his book, his website. He's using our software the, the way it should be used. So, And we're going to be using it in a similar way. We're going to focus more on peak performance uh, initially, and then uh, we'll be moving into some of the meditation stuff as well. Yeah, I love I love hearing that. And for our, some of our listeners that listened to the Dr. Taren episode, I think that was probably about four weeks ago. So hopefully if you guys are wanting to hear more from him, we have an episode on that. And that's also a modality that I offer under his guidance and mentorship. So yeah, people should check him out. He he's done his homework. He has done his, I've been very inspired and he's, he's very grounded in it. And I think yes. one of the things that's so wonderful about neurofeedback is that it, especially within the meditation realm or this peak, really any realm, there's always this question, am I doing it right? Or am I doing the right thing? Right. And, and there's a way that a skillful practitioner or, or looking at the right data in the right way, you know, can really actually help whoever's training to know, yes, I am actually doing the right type of meditation or I'm doing it properly per se in terms of brainwaves. And, you know, this, this emits some of the spiritual aspects of meditation that's, you know, and partially that's intentional, right? Because not all of us are coming into meditation Absolutely. or prayer from a, a religious or spiritual background. It might be from just a, hey, I'm not focusing well enough. And then we look at, you know, his Dr. Taren's idea of focus meditation, which we have a great protocol with the new mind devices, which you can actually run at home really elegantly. I think the user interface you have designed, it's it's really wonderful. And it also allows for, say, a practitioner like myself to to track your progress either in real time or after your session to make sure thresholds are being set properly and you know, you're, you're, you're learning in the way you need to. Uh, yeah, that has been the thing, hasn't it, Micah, that, that I have met so many people who thought they were meditating mm -hmm. and then I looked at their brainwave patterns and their brain maps and I said, no, you haven't been doing it. And mm -hmm. what I was so pleased to see uh, recently that a, a Buddhist monk who was, uh, I think he was from the UK and then he came, um, he was in, in the US and he said, you know, I spent like, I think he said 10 years as a Buddhist monk meditating, and then I found out I wasn't doing it right. And once I finally figured out what I was doing, 
And it really started to work for me. Then I've now I'm out teaching people and you can see him out there on the internet today doing it. And, and I think that's also what Herbert Benson was trying to do back in the eighties from Harvard university. He's mm. somebody who really inspired me a lot. I read his book and I said, this is, this is what I've been looking for. You know, this is, we don't need all this excess religion around this topic. We can truly help evolve ourselves at every level and even at a spiritual level, if that's a level that's important to you through um, this relaxation response technique. And mm-hmm. it's really um, a distilled version of Theravada meditation, you know, which is the basic meditation that Buddha did. But by finding all the factors that really defined it and the technique that really defined it, Benson opened this up to connect unknowingly with biofeedback and the neurofeedback. So I came from that and I was even doing workshops in, in relaxation response and talking about how it connected up with uh, neurofeedback back in 1998, you know, three mm-hmm. people would show up you know? <laughs> and they were often very perplexed. But this idea that you could use uh, computers to monitor your brain waves and really hone in on that zone, learn to do it efficiently with a good feedback, to me was this is the ultimate way to really uh, get to this aspect of our, you know, of our psychology, which is so healing and, uh, and promotes so much creativity and insight mm-hmm. and really helps us move in an optimal way through our life, helps us navigate our social world optimally and our relationships optimally, you know, our dyadic relationship, you know. So these are um, the features that um, I think are really driving this. And what inspired me was the fact that when I use this technology in that way with people, and even in my clinical work, that's my approach. I'm really using the relaxation response and neurofeedback together as concepts. And of course, yeah, I mean, it's like years studying meditation and going to um, places like Tale of the Tiger and, and learning it firsthand. But when I had neurofeedback, I really could see how powerful it was at accelerating this process and making sure you're doing it right. Mm-hmm. And I really saw changes clinically in people that were profound and often very rapid. And I said to myself, this finally is something that really makes a change. This isn't just listening and talking to people. This isn't taking drugs. This is something new that's really changing people. And that really lit a fire into me. It's the idea that I could really, for once, change people's lives in a really powerful and positive way with this technology and potentially make a real impact on social structure in the world in general. And that suddenly we're here on this precipice of doing that on the Internet and as I was doing it, the internet's growing around me. I'm learning to use computers in ways I never imagined. And here we've evolved to this point where we're all locked in and we're starting to spread this technology over the internet. And we've developed it so we can do it. So I think we're about to hit a new level in kind of self-hacking through this method and really getting to the core of our potential. Hundred percent, and even even and for me coming from a background in wilderness therapy, 
and seeing amazing results, but also struggling with longitudinal results and struggling with the financial and time. You know, if this is a program that might cost somebody $80,000 to go through and 12 weeks plus whatever their aftercare is. And when we, when I shifted over to doing the neurofeedback work, seeing, wow, following up with people in six months, I'm like, oh my gosh, your results are better right now than when we ended. Because that learning, like once we were rewiring, that learning's actually improving. You know, there's, amazing. it's amazing. I mean, think there's really, if you look at medication as a case study, that, that actually has a, a hard stop when you stop taking it. it can actually have an ab reaction over time where there, you know, whereas this is going to be benefiting further. And that was one of those things that just absolutely blew my mind. I think there's it's very inspiring, isn't it? It is. You go, it, wow, I can really make a change. And people come back and they say, thank you for saving my life or thank you for trans helping me transform my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see it again and again, and that inspires you. I mean, that's what really inspires me is uh, the people I work with and seeing them change and, and reach new levels of uh, optimal functioning in their life getting off of drugs, becoming uh, involved in new professions, in new relationships, and seeing them just blossom as people. And not only just seeing it from a, a clinical perspective or from a, a personal consultant perspective, but seeing it in the data. I mean, you can see it in the trend screens, you can mm-hmm. see it in the brain maps, you can see it in the computerized performance tests. You can see the improvement in memory, attention, cognitive functioning, and it's all measurable. You can see it in the socio-emotional improvements that we measure with the interactive self-inventory, that, that their whole style of interacting improves. And you can document it, and you can reflect it back to them and say, look, these are documentable changes that you've made. I mean, it's right there mm-hmm. in the data. And they say, that's great, but what really feels good is feeling really good about myself and feeling that I have the ability to make things happen in my life and to uh, work with people to get my own needs met and uh, to feel empowered. I, I, I mean, that part calls, and I think for my background as a clinician, right, there's this, uh, this as Dr. Thompson said last week, this chasm between the neuroscience and the humanistic approach, right? And I love just the way you're articulating that so deeply resonates of like, hey, we can, like making changes in the brain is one thing, right? Making changes that are meaningful, lasting, and what someone's requesting is another, right? And and I say that a lot to everyone we work with where it's like, hey, I can change a brain map, like it's right on. But like, we're not just trying to change your brain to right. show up in a different terms of standard deviations or microvolts or whatever connectivity is so that you have that experience. So you can fall asleep or so you can stay focused, right? That's, that's really the magic. So. Yes. And uh, a lot of people who get involved in the field often can get lost in the, the weeds of the technical details and get, you know, really nerdy about it, <laughs> but there's, but it's very important keep uh, your eye on the ball that really what it's about is uh, enhancing people's quality of life. And people often ask me, you know, what do you, what are you really doing with neurofeedback? What do you see happening? And I tell them it's become very obvious to me. Elmer Green's first vision of this with his wife, and it was his wife who really inspired him. And Elmer 
Green was the person who first developed this technology to build his own equipment mm-hmm. and use it for enhanced self-development. Yeah, now Barry Sturman, yeah, he used it for medical help and brilliantly. But but um, back in the 70s, Elmer and Alice Green got a government grant to use it to explore uh, the ability to enhance people's creativity and solve problems. Mm-hmm. And that was that was just stunning that they were looking at that. They were looking to find a state of mind and a way to train people into that state of mind to enhance their creativity. And I think that's really the most powerful thing we're doing, that people feel trapped, they feel disempowered by how they were raised and by the, the bad habits of interaction and the false beliefs and everything else and their reactivity. And that's what I wrote about in the, my book, The Automatic Self, how we're just stuck in this reactive mode that's so automatic. And what neurofeedback does is it opens up the space inside. And by doing it, you don't react so fast. When you, as you do neurofeedback, you start to, to take a breath between something that occurs to you and your reaction to it. And in that moment, in that space, you have a moment to create a different response. Mm-hmm. Neurofeedback ins- inspires creativity that comes out in that moment. And in that moment, when you respond differently, after a couple of responses, you find ones that work better than the old ones. Mm-hmm. And so you're choosing spontaneously again and again a better response. And eventually you find in that space, there's power and your locus of control moves from being out there and feeling controlled or victimized or not being supported to in here of I can respond differently. And in a, when I do that, I can get a different response back and I can get my needs met. I can get empowered. I have the power to change my life. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know it because I was just reacting and I, I didn't have that, that creative space uh, to behave differently. And I've seen that again and again with neurofeedback. And people say things like, wow, I, I start to do what I used to do, and then I just stop and do something different. I don't know how or why it just happens. People say, I feel kind of bulletproof. Uh, uh, people say stuff to me instead of just reacting. It just bounces off of me. Hmm. Uh, they say, totally. why? Uh, I, you know, I'm sleeping better. I'm more clear-minded. I do this with musicians. They say, oh, my God, I have so much more ideas musically. I do it with visual artists. They say, like, I'm painting all kinds of stuff like I never did before. Uh, I do it with business people. They're saying, like, I'm coming up with all these new ideas, and I felt so blocked before. So really, for me, this is a powerful tool for amplifying human creativity. Mm-hmm. Well, in the language we use a lot is this idea of stabilize and optimize, right? And you're, you're, you're bringing in stability and there's one of the beautiful things just, and it's in the word neurofeedback, it's the feedback, right? We're, we're allowing something that's already in somebody and maybe there's some disorganization or dysregulation or misfirings, yeah. but we're allowing like an innate piece of you to get 
to come out or to yes. reorganize and reshape, right? It's, it's really an enhancement. One of, one of my favorite, especially for the younger kids on like the autism spectrum or ADHD is, well, I don't know if it's working, but they've really matured a lot in the last three days. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you three years worth of maturity in three days. You know, it's, there's these, these moments where you're like, right on. It's a, uh, and just to say for people that are resistant to technology, like, there's other, you know, the, the Pat Ogden's, Peter Levine's, um, I mean, you actually, you just had, uh, oh my gosh, this is embarrassing. Not Alan Shore. Um, Who I was talking about? What's that? Oh, polyvagal theory. Yeah. Um, you know, you just had a great lunch and learn with him. It's on your guys' YouTube channel for those that are, uh, I'm so, uh, so embarrassed. I keep on saying Vanderkoff, but um, well, uh, all those, all those polyvagal nerve theory trauma specialists really like, there's such a, a beautiful intersection between somatic psychotherapy, polyvagal nerve theory, brain waves, and biofeedback. Yeah. There's a lot of new and exciting people like Stephen Porges, um, Porges and Vander, the, yeah, and yeah. Vander Kolk. Yeah. And, uh, yes, as you get older, uh, usually around the age of 35, your memory for names starts to degrade huh. and it's always a surprise. And after a while you start taking notes and making sure that you have all these <laughs> names handy. Yeah. You're, I, was, I was maybe binge watching some, uh, polyvagal nerve theory stuff and saw one too many names last night. Yeah. And, and, you know, so it's just, just to say that for those listening to that, if you're like a little resistant, like there's so much depth in this, this isn't just to hook you up and, you know, there's so much self exploration and self connection. And in terms of like, you know, the, the hit on that stabilizing piece, like you said, as you're moving into this, you know, some FDA clearance towards peak performance, I'm really curious, you know, what role might this play for that? you know, for maybe an executive or an athlete or special forces or whoever it may be? Well, as you know, I've been training um, executives and athletes and uh, military people for decades. And we've used it very successfully with wounded warriors, extremely successfully. I mean, people, I had one wounded warrior came up to me, we've been training him on and off for five years. And he said, you know what? He said, you normal people live a really boring life. <laughs> he, he said, it's getting, he said, and he said, my life is a piece of so exciting. Now I'm normal and balanced. He said, and I'm not getting into trouble, but he said, it seems sometimes it seems almost a little boring. Mm-hmm. And I've had people who we've gotten out of deep depression and they, we had this one gal and she had decided she was going to commit suicide. If this didn't work, she tried everything, but she didn't tell us. And thank God we had all these great clinicians on board watching her. But she changed her, she lost 60 pounds. She changed her lifestyle. She changed her friends. She changed the place she lived. She changed her job. And she came back to us and she said, I'm so different. I'm not sure who I am anymore. She said, mm. I kind of miss my old friend depression. Mm. Uh, she said, but I really loving my new life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and so for some people getting into that space is a shock. They get so used to being in a place where they're suffering. And I, I know one great and famous teacher um, in, from the East said, the, one of the last things that we want to give up is our pain. Mm. And that we're all highly attached to our pain. And I thought that was such a paradoxical and intriguing statement coming from such a great teacher. And I've watched that and I understand, I think at this point, why that's true. Mm. So it's almost like a Zen cone. It's a great thing to 
to meditate on, but it is true. So we yeah, the words the people. words reverberate, right? It hits. It has gravity to it, right? Of because the, there's truth. There's truth you don't want to see when you say that. At least that's my feeling of it. I'm like, oh. Well, you right, you build up so much of your identity around your pain, especially mm-hmm. if you come from a family with toxic stress. Mm-hmm. And to give up that pain, and I've met artists who say like, well, I'm afraid to give up my pain because then I won't be a good artist. Mm-hmm. And when they do. Their art absolutely explodes and flourishes. And they go like, oh my God, I didn't need that pain for art. I just needed to really allow myself the freedom uh, to express without self-criticism, allow myself the freedom to make a lot of mistakes really fast and learn from them and then create in a whole new way. Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, watching people go through that kind of shift is, is really inspiring and stunning to see what they do. Totally. Absolutely. Oh, I'm inspired. I'm like, <laughs> it's a, uh, you know, and I love it because you're like, well, we could actually dive in right now and, you know, hook up a new mind device and dive into, I'd imagine a quiet mind protocol right now, which is, you know, this <coughs> one word for that's the automatic self transcending, which is, you know, very hard for even myself to understand what, the, what that means. But, you know, this idea of going into a quiet space just to allow for the echoing of those words of, you know, what well, is identification think- of pain. Yeah. I think, yeah, there was, there's confusion. Um, a lot of the traditional teachings are so wrapped up in um, kind of religiosity and superstition uh-huh. that people misinterpret them. And I think when I was young, I misinterpreted a lot of it too. I mean, the Upanishads said, you know, what you're looking for is beyond feeling, it's beyond thought, it's beyond imagination, it's beyond mind. And so I was looking for some super state like you might get on a psychedelic, mm-hmm. which is, and those are great things to go through. They're great teachers, but you can only endure those states for so long. Mm-hmm. And you come back to everyday stuff, life. And then slowly as you're doing neurofeedback, you begin to realize that there is this space inside of you. And that when you just sit in that quiet space, it begins to transform everything and you can't describe it. You can't think it there. You can't feel it there. It just emerges after you do it. And when you get more involved in that space, you suddenly realize that that's what you are, that space. And, and when you cultivate it with neurofeedback and meditation, you have all this incredible creativity mm-hmm. and it opens up the world in a whole new way. And that's, I think that's the exciting thing about it. And you see it occurring in people when they do neurofeedback, if you know what to look for. But, you know, in the traditional writings, you know, there's all this stuff all like, well, you need to have superpowers and you're going to read people's minds. And it's going to be really exciting and extravagant. It's going to be like a super uh, uh, LSD, mescaline, psilocybin trip, and the world's going to all become one. Well, the problem is, yeah, you can go to that space, but if you go to that space, you can't even get out of your chair. You can't even navigate, you know? Mm-hmm. The point is, is you get take the heart of that experience and carry it with you in everyday life. So I think a lot of us back in the mm-hmm. 70s, 60s and 70s said, you know, this is very cool, but we need to find a way to harness this and be in our everyday life. And yeah. Talking to feedback, and we, you know, we've talked about that in past episodes. Is like a state versus stage, right? Stage of developments, and specifically with like Beck and Cowan's spiral dynamics, which allow for, 
transpersonal realms of development. And that's a, that's a lot to unpack probably for a lot of our listeners, but there's, you know, we can, I'm capable of reaching these high states, you know, maybe even through meditation or through brain enhancement or through psychedelics or through, even adventure sports or even through learning, right? We could even, we call those even flow state enhancements, right? But there's a stage of development, which is to me, the center of gravity of which we kind of equalize, which is that balance of our upward reach as well as our downward pain body or or pain, as you say, it's hard to let go of that pain and evolve, right? To rebirth and grow. Because we're always transcending and including. It's not a, it's not meant as like a lower evolutionary piece is bad, but you know, there is a, a upward movement that is possible. Yes. And, and you have to have a balance and, you know, we tend, our pain tends to make us cling very hard to our preferences, you know, mm-hmm. and as Ken Keyes a long time ago says, give up your addictions your, and make them preferences and hold lightly to your preferences. Because as another great teacher said, you know, it's really about creating and adjusting and you can't adjust and you can't, learn and you can't create unless you're willing to make a lot of little mistakes and keep adjusting them as you go. And suddenly that opens up the freedom to be creative and not run from mistakes, but embrace them and build off of them. Uh, the word when you said freedom, I was, is that, that word kept coming in my head as you're saying that. I was just like, right. There's this, like, when we talk about what is freedom, right? You and I are, as we speak, being strongly suggested to stay in our homes, right? Yes. Where we've lost autonomy for things that we perhaps identify with. You know, our ski areas have closed, our sports have closed, our travel has closed, work has closed, shifted, or remained the same for people. And yet there's still freedom, right? In terms of how we can turn towards something. And I think that's such a, an elusive gift many of us seek or value. You have a really wonderful way of like illustrating how that can look. So yeah, I think when you, when you really calm down and you start letting go of your pain, that makes you cling much less tightly to what you have to have or believe you have to have. Mm-hmm. And as you kind of relax into that space inside of you and just let the world kind of emerge and be willing to accept the mistakes mm-hmm. as much as successes, that balance suddenly that freedom emerges to act. You know, you have people with writer's block because they're afraid to let go of their requirements. They're afraid to get out of the box. They don't know how because, because of the fear itself. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that again, that fear and pain, the fear of the pain makes us cling more tightly to uh, a habitual way of thinking, feeling, and doing break through those habitual ways of thinking, feeling, doing, but you can't just break through it by an act of will. You break through it by letting go. Mm-hmm. And you can only do that by convolt, you know, uh, um, uh, developing that space inside. And the way to develop that space inside is sitting quietly and doing neurofeedback or sitting quietly and meditating. And it's really hard to figure out how to, how to well, you know, you, and you see all these great things in Tibetan books. And I started reading Tibetan, books back in college, back in 1968, practicing those techniques, got into some very bizarre states of mind, but I had some very profound experiences, intense experiences that completely altered my life. But I realized that the idea of getting into open space 
it's it's like acting somebody to do something impossible. How can you do that? You can't do it. And and you get all these paradoxical statements like, well, try, stop trying so hard or stop trying to do it or just sit and meditate. And you're like, well, how do I just sit and meditate? And what am I supposed to be doing? And the neurofeedback is there and you're hearing a tone and it's telling you you're in that space. You're not in that space. And you get in that space and say, well, this, this space is painful and it's boring and it's hard and, and uh, it's kind of scary and I don't want to stay in this space. You know, I want to go do something. I want to eat something. I want to think about something. It's like, no, just stay in that space. You keep listening to the tone and it keeps guiding you back to that space. And you go like, slowly you let go of your, of your needs, of your fears, of your, of your dreams. Of, and you slowly let go of all your attachments. And suddenly that space becomes a wonderful, beautiful, happy place to be. Mm-hmm. And he said, I had no idea that just sitting and opening to that space inside could over time go from a painful experience to a really freeing experience. You know, we, so we run wilderness trips as a part of our company. And it's, it's funny, there's like these two archetypes of the person that wants to climb the mountain yes. and the person that wants to sit by the river, right? And there's, there's deep, deep wisdom and gifts in both. Yes. And when, when I hear people request one thing, my, it's my, I immediately think, oh, they probably need the, you know, the person's like, hey, can we climb a 14er when we're in Colorado? And I'm like, yeah, we can. And I'm guessing you deeply need to sit by a lake or on a ridge for alone for about three days. And the person that wants to sit on a ridge alone for three days, it's like, oh, you might actually need to climb a couple 14ers. You yes. Know? You know, yes. There's this, this, uh, Everybody has a different has a slightly different path mm-hmm. and, and, then, and you have to accommodate for that. And I think it's brilliant that you did that. I mean, you, you really do have to, to get people to try things that they're uncomfortable doing a little bit so that they can open up to the unknown. And just right on that edge, right? There's this like learning zone where if we push too far, right? If we expose too fast and too much, then we recoil, right? That but happens in neurofeedback. Exactly. So if you're training in a location, like um, we're training uh, up in an older part of the brain on the top of the head, you know, getting down to the part of our brain that moves our body. It's very much a body part of our brain. And then if we move over and start too fast and start training our feeling where our body and our feelings connect with our thinking, that can push people too hard, too fast. Mm -hmm. They'll feel bad. And, and you say, well, we can't train there yet. And you have to go someplace else and train where you're not pushing them so hard, but where uniquely is helping them. And, you know, part of, part of using things like brain maps like we do is locating those places that are going to be helping you move in the right direction, not too fast and not too slow, mm-hmm. without untoward side effects. I mean, that's that's part of mapping. That's why it can be valuable so much. hundred percent. You know, and I think, you know, I've had this question come up a couple of times and just for our listeners too, like you know, there we use, are you familiar with like this, the Mihai Csikszentmihalyi or Stephen Kotler's model, like neurologic model of flow? No, I'm not familiar with that. 
It's pretty cool. I'll send you some. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, it's a it's a longer dialogue, but you know they break it into like a struggle phase, a release phase, a flow phase, which is what we're oh flow. Yeah, I didn't recognize his name. I recognize the way it. It spells, but I don't recognize the way it sounds. Yes, I know who you're talking about. I, I listen to a lot of videos on repeat to be able to pronounce that. And I'm, <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of work, actually. I never could pronounce it. I could never even hear it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, and, and one of the things we attribute to the struggle phase is a beta wave. Right. And then what, one of the things we attribute to a, a release phase is kind of moving down into that alpha theta range. Really yes. more so alpha theta in um, flow stage with those gamma bursts. Yes. But like, you know, yes. you have the neurochemicals coming in like nitric oxide to flush out the brain and these other yes. pieces. And I'm curious in, in your experience with new minder and your experience just as a practitioner, like, you know, like when I hear this, one of the, one of the things I push people towards is like, look, like that stimulant that you're taking, like that could, that, that's awesome. Great. But there's another way. Like there's this yes. way that's exponentially more powerful that actually lives in like alpha and theta and gamma as yes. opposed to a high, like a high beta or beta two for those and for people that aren't listening. That's like these faster, but not our fastest brain waves. And that can mm. be where a lot of that maybe ego identity struggle can come in. And I'm curious, I'm curious if you share that well, kind of softer well, science so. approach. I so. think so, absolutely, because uh, cortical processing, thinking with the new, you know, with our our man brain, our uh, mm-hmm. our advanced brain, involves uniquely those frequencies. I mean, if you look at uh, Meehan and Bresler and Menon and all the top people in neuroimaging, mm-hmm. I mean, they're looking at at these metastable networks that they're like ghosts that 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 just flash across your cortex, and those are your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And they could stay for a few seconds or they could stay for a minute, but they come and they go like, again, like apparitions just through, through your mind. And those things flashing through your, your brain are uh, in those beta ranges. And they're all things about managing and controlling the world around you and thinking through things. Whereas as you move down into the alpha range, that's more about letting go and letting space be present and perceiving and and watching for opportunity mm-hmm. and being open to possibility. And then when you move down into the theta realm, you're getting more into the older mammalian brain and into feeling and emotion and um, feeling um, where uh, what's going on is what the truth of an event is and feeling how to react. And so in modern neuroimaging, we've learned that making a decision is really in the feeling brain. Mm-hmm. And most decisions are made in the feeling brain. And because of that, you know, we've built a culture on assuming it was a, a thinking thing, a, a word game, a, a, a decision-making with thought. And all the research is saying, if you read Walter Freeman and all the people, right, or imaging, no. Man is first and foremost, like Aristotle said, a political and a feeling animal. And we make our decisions based on feeling. So somewhere in between that thinking and that feeling is this golden space where they both harmonize in that low alpha, high theta range. But it's not just the frequency. It's, there's a whole dynamic the brain goes into in that range. And uh, there's actually research that was done in Germany that suggested that Clemish wrote this article is brilliant about 
a Fibonacci sequence in the brainwave hierarchy that the same perfect Fibonacci sequence that occurs throughout nature occurs in the brainwaves and it starts with the heart. And from the heart frequency, that 0.1 hertz, that ultimate heart rate variability frequency, that all these other frequencies emerge in a Fibonacci sequence up to beta and that there's this golden mean around the alpha. And when we, and that's what Adam Crane and I wrote about back in 2000, uh, that when you begin to engage in that frequency range in the right way, when you open up to that space, your brain starts to behave in a unique way. Uh, we called it profound attentions or neural quiescence, where the cortex, the thinking brain just calms down and everything harmonizes and you get a lot of, you know, from the work research they did, they saw that, you know, uh, in these alpha frequencies, we have a lot of coherence appears in the brain. Mm-hmm. So you have this perfect convergence of coherence between the hemispheres of intra and intrahemisphere coherence and between the cortex and the limbic system and the brain becomes very quiet and the heartbeat becomes very slow, and very coherent. And we move into this very magic space of just sitting quietly in the space where our whole body harmonizes. And so I think that is that range. And what you're talking about is, is something that's very real. And I experienced that something very real. And when I train people into that space, they find it as something real. But when I teach alpha theta training, I tell people, you know, we all think we live in a two-story building. We're upstairs and awake, or we go downstairs and we go to sleep at night. And we always press the express button when we go to bed. And so in our culture, we think there's only two states. But in most older cultures, they know there's all these floors in between. And so part of Alpha Theta is going into those different floors and exploring the different feelings and experiences in those. And and some of them involve lucid dreaming or lucid awareness. Others of them involve uh, intense visions. Other of them involve deep, barely conscious intuitions. And we can explore all those states in between, and you can see them reflected in the brain. You can actually read them on the brainwave screens. And when I do an alpha theta workshop, I teach people how to read what state they're in by looking at the level of the mixture of delta, theta, alpha, and beta. You can see patterns. So I'm totally on board with what you're saying. You know, and for the people that are like, what do you mean these levels are kind of having a hard time? Like, if you've ever been in the shower on a walk and had an aha moment, that's a, that's a subtle example. Like maybe you're not having a vision, but those little bursts of creativity, those little insights to sell for complex problem solving, that's an example of the type of worlds that you can actually train to access. Yeah. More easily. Yeah. And you can be dissociated in, into a daydream or you can be totally focused on your perceptual processing too much or you can be in your busy mind running a racket in your brain like they talk about in the forum or you can be just really busy worrying and ruminating in beta you know using beta in the wrong way beta is a great frequency but if you use it to ruminate and worry to block your fear then it's counterproductive mm-hmm. but if you can relax and let go of your fear and your attachments and use beta creatively and parsimoniously, then it becomes a powerful tool. Mm -hmm. 
That's the same thing with theta too. You can get lost in daydreams and in visualizations and everything like that and imagination and that's unbalanced and you can become totally lost and dissociated or you can re- let go of being having to run from the world and reach into that and use it when you need it in a very creative way. So what I see in people is that we have like a dozen different ways, basic ways of running from fear. And you can see it in all these different unique standardized brainwave patterns. And our goal is to break that up and be able to move fluidly in any of those states and then to center like a ballet dancer or like a great athlete at the center, you know, like Magic Johnson used to say, you know, I find this zone Mm -hmm. where I am, everything's quiet and I'm moving with just effortless openness, achieving what my goal, but there's no effort, there's no fear. It's just fluid. And I think that's flow. That's, it I mean, to me, that's the, the essence of flow right there. There's these, it's effortless, it's selfless, it's timeless. There's these, these palpable qualities, right. That, and, and there's also the risk of becoming addicted to it. Right. And there's this, yes, other, yes. this other side, there's a shadow to this gift and that we all, not we all, but a lot of us, you know, human optimization, peak performance, self-transcending people are grasping at. There's actually a deep, dark, shadowy, addiction there that can, can there is and i i've seen people chase it very hard and, and the more you chase it, the more you lose it it's like chasing a buzz with a high yeah. you know yeah everything yeah. gets crazier and crazier the more you chase it and the more you let go the more it comes back to you and i know all those great zen masters and teachers that i studied with always said uh when you grasp for it you lose it hmm. and even in the old christian tradition they talked about grace as being something that comes upon you that you can't grasp, you can't give, but it comes upon you. And that's the flow. The flow comes upon you. I think you have to learn to cultivate an openness to it. So training with neurofeedback is training to become receptive. That's the whole secret to me of creativity is training to sit in that space and be open and receptive like the Tao. And you become open and receptive, then the flow comes. But the flow can't come. And it's that old famous uh, adage. And I've even seen it used in the movie where the two great sages, Lao Tzu and uh, uh, the other great sage, get together and they have tea together. And Lao Tzu starts pouring the tea. And, and this, this other famous sage says, stop, stop, stop. It's, you, my cup's full. My cup's full. He said, yes, that's the problem. I can't teach you anything because your cup's already full. And I think we all walk around with full cups and we really just need to let it go, open up. But how do you do that? Meditate. Well, how do you do that? Well, wait a second. In the modern age, in the technological age, our path is technology. And that technology now can feed back to us when we're in that space. And we can learn to get into it easier, recognize it, and open to it. And I think that's the magic of neurofeedback. The magic is in the science, not in superstition, and not in in the magical thinking but in the actual science of it. And I think that's what I'm doing. That's what Jeff's doing. That's what you're doing. And that's what a lot of other people are doing. Yeah. Well, I'm immensely grateful for you coming on. And I know there's, I want to, I want to learn more about the stages, these, these archetypal fear responses. And there's so much more to say. I think, I think for the listeners to know like that, 
these are accessible things. You know, if you check out our work, Dr. Studer's work, Dr. Taren's work, there's, there's online free resources there. Your, your YouTube channel is perhaps one of the richest resources I know of in the neuro. Yeah, most people world. don't even know about it. It's hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> and you and I are going to have a conversation about that, but you know, it's a, it's, it's an immense gift to give to yourself, even just to slow down and to understand that we have an autonomic nervous system that we actually is not automatic in the way we thought that we actually have choice, that there are people that can skillfully guide you through this, that, you know, you don't have to accept what is. And at the same time, there is a deep need to accept what is right. There's this like juxtaposition there. The paradox. Um, Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a real thing, you know, and, and I really do believe too, with the, with the neurofeedback that, because I being ecology, uh, eco psychology kind of wilderness therapy guy, it's like, well, what do I need all these te- this tech for? Right? It's it's meeting us where we're at. It's what our systems need. Our planet's moving faster. Right? Yes. The collective nervous system that we live in is sympathetically dominant. Right? And to yes. slow down out of that, it takes mm-hmm. a little more than three breaths. Even though we can in three breaths, just about anyone I've ever worked with, I can get them to feel different in about three breaths. I'm guessing. Right. You can too, yeah. right? Oh, that's totally true. I don't know if I can do that. Uh, I don't know if I've ever tried to do that, but um, Maybe I, do, I do try to, to sit with them and let my bioenergetic field, my heart rate um, coherence, uh, synchronize with their heart rate coherence and my breathing synchronize with their breathing and help them come calm down into the same state I'm in. And to me, that's depth work. Like I, I kind of look at it as like a state hack. Like you can state hack somebody who's anxious, right? Hey, if you exhale, you're going to most likely stimulate the parasympathetic branches of the system. If you inhale more, you're going to stimulate sympathetic. And, you you know, both branches are valuable. Both branches have pros and cons. Like, you know, ventral vagal is our social engagement system. Dorsal vagal is freeze, right? And, you know, so there's different, there's different subtleties here that, is beyond the scope of the, the now really long wrap up I wanted to have with you. But, you know, we can really quickly oxygenate ourselves, breathing fully into our stomach, our chest, breathing into our brain stem, even just imagining bringing air into our brain and then exhaling longer. And just three of those breaths are going to either, you know, someone will feel lightheaded because of, you know, oh, yes. Or, they, or they'll feel more calm. And, and, there, and there's pros and cons there from like a capnometry or study of CO2 exchange standpoint. But people will have a panic attack. <laughs> yes, they will. Right. So that's where, that's where we're always like, and that's where the depth yes. comes in, right. Of like actually regulating and actually tuning to another person's nervous system and actually doing the work. Yes. All, keep, all of this. Yeah. And yeah, I think, I, everything you say is, uh, you know, is resonates with me. I mean, that, that is all very true. Yeah, but you're somebody who's worked with it like me, so you 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 know what it looks like, you know what it feels like, you know, you know how to work with it, and it's a, it's a great place to be. It's very rewarding work. We'll we'll link in the show notes your books. I mean, you have really wonderful books. We're definitely going to push the YouTube channel because that's just the greatest resource. Is there? And then there's New Mind Training, New Mind Maps. Yeah. Um, is there, where, where's a great place for people to find you or to learn more? Uh, I think just uh, you know, my book, The Automatic Self, is, is, a, is a basic primer. It's, it's, there's a lot more to it than people think sometimes when they first read through it. We tried to write it down. It was very difficult getting, me getting it down just a more of a street level. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of help with it from a lot of different people and editors in my life. But 
the YouTube channel, I think, is a, just a, one of the best introductions to the world we're in and the kind of work we do. And, and what I teach, I mean, it's, it's all there on that YouTube channel. I don't awesome. think it's a great way. And if you want to know how to do neurofeedback, that can get very confusing. But if you want to know how to meditate or do peak performance with neurofeedback, that's very straightforward. And anybody can learn it and learn to do it in their home. And that's why I say it's, it's wonderful now that the world's opening up to that possibility. 100%. And for those listening, that's, that's literally the stabilize and optimize program. Like, you know, it's just sharing those tools for you to learn to self-regulate and stabilize your nervous system and then creating routines and practices, which is enhanced by neurofeedback, biofeedback. Yes. To optimize, right? And then your system yep. is integral for that, right? This is this is just such a gift you're offering, right? You're like you said, there's people that have come before you and there's people that'll come after you, but you're playing yes. such a vital role of, you know, the muse was a great somewhere between tool and toy. And I think yes. they've they've enhanced it and it's gotten better, but it, it mm-hmm. has its it has its flaws in terms of site location and technology. Yeah. And, and I think that uh to have that company though, to, to gain popularity of what you, what you're working towards is such a gift. And then to have your work for people like myself to come in and say, wow, thank you so much for the literature, the technology, the teaching, you know, and, and to say those, to learn how to do neurofeedback, your uh, BCIA course is actually really wonderful and actually does a great job of uh, bringing in other voices, not just yours. Like there's different modules. Yeah. Um, yeah. We try to be inclusive, and we and we have to be. But mm-hmm. I mean, uh, also, I have tremendous gratitude for people like uh, you and Jeff, who are will be living longer than I am, who are picking this up finally and taking it to the next level. I mean, that's exciting to see uh, new people coming in and doing that, and that's and everybody in the field is grateful for that for sure. Awesome. Well, cool. Any last words for the audience, or? Yeah, I'm not, uh, 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 I don't know that I'm so great at uh, last words. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think the, uh, the last word is, you know, meditate or get into neurofeedback and, uh, and just do it. Awesome. And everything else will follow. Everything else will follow. Perfect. Love it. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We'll have links to everything in the show notes. And, uh, Next week, we're going to be diving into TRE or tension trauma release exercises and kind of going through how, yeah, how to move through energy in your body. So it's ready for, for meditation. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, <laughs> it's my primer for sure. All right. For all our listeners, thanks for tuning in.